All right. Okay, so uh, here's what it's recording. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to just read to you sort of the box um, as an introduction. The first thing about the doctrine of God. So that's what we're we're studying. This series is we're we're trying to um, know God. I guess like a, a good um, series name would be Knowing God. Uh, but I decided to be fancy and I called it Behold Our God. So it's about knowing God. Who is God? Who is uh, what is his character? And uh, the first thing you need to know, if you want to know God, is that He is incomprehensible. Which is kind of a deep paradox, right? Because incomprehensible means that we cannot really know Him. Um, And let me read to you what I wrote. Uh, He is beyond our ability to see Him as He truly is. Right? We will never know God the way He knows Himself. The way He really is. There will always be a barrier. There will always be a limit to our ability to understand. Um, and so he will always be a mystery to us. This doesn't mean that we can't know him at all. So the incomprehensibleness of God is not saying that God is completely incomprehensible, comprehensible, but rather that we cannot comprehend God in his fullness. Right? He, is always, he will always be beyond us. And so we must always remember that he is infinite and we are finite. That, I mean, right there... Wow, that just boggles the mind, right? And so let's just dive right in. We're going to just read through these passages that tell us about the incomprehensibleness of God. Tub, can you read Psalm 147? Uh, which one? Uh, the first verse. The Psalms? Yeah. Okay. Uh, great is our God and abundant in power. His understanding is beyond measure. Yeah, um, the translation here is very wooden, but another way to say it is uh, we will never be able to understand Him. His understanding Him is beyond our capability. And the, uh, a good way to think of it is, here's God, here's us, and separating us and God, even though, of course, this is uh, inaccurate, separating us and God is infinity. <clears throat> and even there, I'm not really correctly representing it. But I want you to think about that. God is an infinite being. He is eternal, almighty, all-powerful, all-knowing. And we are finite. We are creatures. And so, how can we completely understand Him? How can we reach up to Him? We cannot. The gap between us and God is not just enormous, it is infinite. (laughs) Because enormous suggests that there's an end. But there is no end, because you can just go on and on and on and on and on, and you'll never exhaust uh, the limits, the, the, the greatness, the expansiveness of God. Right? Okay, so let's go on. Uh, Isaiah 40. Uh, Justin, can you read uh, the first paragraph? Right. Um, to whom then will you compare me, that I should be like him, says the Holy One? Lift up your eyes on high and see who created these. He who brings out their host by number, calling them all by name, by the greatness of his might, and because he is strong in power, not one is missing. All right, so quick question for you guys. What is um, Isaiah talking about in the uh, second half of verse 26? Does anyone know? Kind of archaic language. It's a great language. Uh, Cheryl's here? Can you tell her? Anybody? Um, let's, let's give... So what is, what is the end of verse 26 talking about?
Stars. Yes, stars. And uh, what is what is this passage saying? It says he brings out their hosts by number, calling them all by name. All right. Um, that's saying, okay, that God knows each. He not he not only made each and every one of the stars, he knows them by name, right? Which means that he has a completely exhaustive understanding of them. He knows all of their attributes. He knows all of their characteristics. Uh, let's. There's one more chair here. Top, can you maneuver? So I looked this up, but let's just consider the mind-boggling reality of this. Okay, in the Milky Way, that's our galaxy, by the way. Okay, there are 400 billion stars. Okay, I don't even know how astronomers come up with this number. Uh, <laughs> they must do some sort of estimate. There are 400 billion stars. Okay, and astronomers, those who are willing to put a number on this, estimate that the universe has 125 billion galaxies. Okay? So 125 billion of these. And if you multiply these together, some of your minds going, doo, 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 right? Then you get 10 to the 22 uh, stars. Okay? And that comes out to 10 billion trillion stars. That is a number that is beyond our comprehension. That is a number that we cannot fathom. We cannot imagine. Okay, just throwing it out there is just it's like blank face. Right? We, we don't understand. And God has not only created each and every one of them, He knows them all by name. That's our God. This gap, again, infinite. God is completely beyond us. And the only way that we can properly approach the knowledge of God, the doctrine of God, is if we have this healthy respect that God is infinite. All right. Any quick questions on, on that point? All right. Can I have uh, Tim read the second half of Isaiah? Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel? My way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. I love that word unsearchable. We're going to see it again and again. The word unsearchable um, simply means that you can't... I mean, imagine a room that um, you're trying to find something. And so you're searching. And to say that it's unsearchable means that this room is infinitely large. And you can wander in that room forever, and you'll never get to the end. You'll never find. You'll never get to even one of the corners. And that's like God trying to understand God, as it says, His uh, power or His understanding. Understanding God is unsearchable. You cannot. You cannot get to the end. And I love that word there. It says, "The Lord is the everlasting Lord." You guys can just sit on the tables. That's your punishment for coming late. On the table. Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> um. Let's read Psalm 145. Who have I missed? Uh, Gary, I think I missed you, right? Psalm 145. <coughs> 1, 2, 3. I will sow you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, and His greatness is unsearchable. There's that word again, unsearchable, right? You can never get to the end of His greatness. His greatness is infinite. And I love what it says there in verse 2. It says, and I will praise your name forever and ever. And I remember when I was a lot younger, I used to think, oh... How boring. It's like we're going to be like machines just repeating, I praise you, God. I praise you, God. But I think in light of the fact that it says his greatness is unsearchable, 
What it's saying is that every day, every moment, we will be discovering new, wonderful, amazing things about God. We'll be like, wow, wow. And every moment, we'll just be like, praising God. It'll be fresh praises. It'll be new praises. You know, it'll just be like, we're just blown away by who God is. And that, okay, think about this. And that will go on forever. It'll be infinite. We will never be bored of God. We will never be tired and say, okay, I got it. We will always be in this moment. After a million years, it'll be like we've just begun and we'll just be on our knees in awe of who God is. I think that's an amazing picture of our God. Um, Isaiah 55. Can I have uh, Eric read that? Seek the Lord while he is God. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Yeah, if you look at Isaiah 55, especially in verse 7, um, the prophet is rebuking the people, right? And the people, are, are their sin, their rebellion, is that they think God is wrong. And so Isaiah is saying, don't you realize that God's thoughts, I mean, God is speaking to Isaiah, he's saying, my thoughts are not your thoughts. But he's, this, he's saying something more than that. He's saying that um, God's mind is infinitely higher. Again, this graph again, that God is infinitely greater than us. And I was trying to like contemplate what the metaphor is, what the proper proportion is. And imagine like a little ant, right? Here's a little ant. I don't know what ants look like. But, um, here's a little ant, and the ant is looking up at a human being. Right? And the ant looks up at a human being, and the ant is trying to contemplate human society, human psychology, our mind, our creativity. And can the ant understand he can understand a little bit, a kind of a shadowy, kind of like a very vague understanding, but he can never, I mean, an ant can never comprehend the complexities and the richness of who we are. And that gap is like an insult to the gap that we're talking about right here. I mean, maybe an even better gap would be like an amoeba. <laughs> right? So, I mean, here's like the cell particles, or I don't know. And, and so an amoeba is trying to understand a human being. And I was just like, trying to understand. And even that is an insult to this, right? Because God is infinite. And we will forever be an amoeba trying to understand God. I think that blows my mind away. I think that's really amazing. Um, and so I wanted to, uh, oh, let's read the next passage. And I want to give you guys some examples of this. Um, so John, John, can you read Job? Can you find out the deep things of God? Can you find out the limit of the Almighty? It's higher than heaven. What can you do? Deeper than Sheol, what can you know? Its measure is longer than earth and broader than the sea. Thank you. The word is Sheol. I love that word, Sheol, the grave. But um, verse 7, it says, Can you find out the deep things of God, the limit of the Almighty? And the answer is, of course, it's a rhetorical question. We cannot. And so I try to, you know, try, so far it's very abstract. So I want us to try to understand the complex, the deep, the profundity of God. And so I came up with two examples. And the first example is this. Um, the Bible tells us that God loves creation. 
and that he created every single human being personally, and every single human being is made in his image, right? We talked about this last week, which means that each human being is like a child to God. Uh, it's a son, it's a daughter. In fact, the Bible goes so far as to say that your love, who's a parent here? Well, only Tom and I, or Harry. Um, the Bible goes so far as to say that your love for your child is only trying to grasp God's love for us. It's only, it's only like a weak shadow. God, I mean, I think about how much I love Judah, and I, I would like do crazy things to protect him. I, I, I would go to no limits to make sure that he's happy. I love that little kid, you know? <laughs> Every time I see him, my heart just delights. It's just, it's like this dance, you know, I explode with happiness and joy. And God says that he sees every single human being like that. Okay, now, okay, see if you can hold this in your mind. That very same God, the Bible says, can condemn people to hell forever. Forever, not just for a little limited amount of time. Forever and ever and ever and see them in agony, see them suffer forever, and he is still infinitely happy in himself, and he's still satisfied. When I think about that, I mean, could I condemn Judah? I punish him sometimes, you know, like, he's really disobedient, I'll slap him, but the moment he, like, I'm, like, my heart, like, crumbles, I'm, like, dying, I'm, like, oh, Judah, reconciliation. <laughs> and, and, and God is able to punish his rebellious creation forever and ever and ever, and he can see them still as a child, and he's still happy in and of himself. He's still satisfied. He's, he's not torn up, and yet he loves. I mean, how, how is that possible? How can we comprehend? I mean, we are at the limits of understanding. Let me give you another illustration. The Bible says that Jesus is the God-man, right? That, that Jesus is God come down in human flesh, that he's 100% man, he's 100% God. And it tells us that Jesus, you know, has all the attributes of God, all the powers, all the... Um, um, all the characteristics of God, and yet he experienced finiteness. He, he, he had a limit to his understanding. You know, Jesus speaks of things that he doesn't know. I mean, how is that possible? I mean, consider this. God at one point was a little baby, and a little baby, Harry and I can tell you, a little baby is so weak they can't even lift their head. And the Almighty God, the infinite God, became a little baby, and he couldn't even lift his, his head. He was so helpless. How is that possible? And the Bible tells us that Jesus will be the God-man forever and ever and ever. It will never end. He will always be 100% man, 100% God. How, how, how does that happen? How can he combine the infinite and finite? I mean, that boggles my mind. And so those are just two examples of the incomprehensibleness of God. Any questions or any comments? Or should we just be silent and reverent? <laughs> I'm going to open it up. So any, any thoughts? What about the first illustration or the first example that I gave <coughs> that might warrant some questions? No? Yeah, for the longest time, I think, uh, like, in, uh, trying to grab going to heaven and then and then uh, being satisfied in God in, like, a week or something, right? That's all how I saw it. I'm like, okay, we're going to be there, we're going to get used to it, and then things are going to settle and, and be mundane. Uh, but to know that he's, like, infinite and every day is going to be new, it's like, oh, man, it's so good. Um, that just like just makes, makes it so exciting. I think um, someone once asked me, actually many people have asked me, how can we be happy in heaven when we will have relatives and friends in hell? And the answer is, I don't know. I can't imagine how we will be able to cope with that. But understanding God helps us to understand because God is able to do this. 
God is able to, and, and then here I'm really opening up a can of worms because we're talking about the doctrine of hell, the doctrine of eternal punishment. I actually did a Sunday school series on that. Less than two-thirds of you guys were there, so maybe we'll do it again. But, um, but God can do it. And I don't know, I don't know what it's going to be, but I think somehow we will be able to appreciate and understand the mind of God in a limited way in that extent, and we will still be happy and infinitely joyful in the new creation. All right, let's move on. Uh, next box. Yet God knows us exhaustively. So we, cannot, we, cannot, we can never know God exhaustively, but the other way around, God knows us exhaustively, right? Uh, he knows us better than even we know ourselves. And so can I have Neiman read Psalm 139? Oh Lord, you have searched me and known me. Yeah, let's stop right there. Um, <laughs> you know what's so remarkable? Remember I said that we see this word again and again, unsearchable. God is unsearchable. What does it say there? God has searched us, right? It doesn't say, you know, God is searching. <laughs> he searched us. Boom, he knows us down to the end, to the limits. Our little room, he's explored the whole thing, you know? All right, keep reading. You know when I sit down and when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You hem me in behind and before, and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Yeah, I love the psalm. A lot of these quotes are from the psalms because it's really, a so psalms are songs of praise. And the psalmist here is <coughs> contemplating God, how God knows us completely. God knows us even better than ourselves. And I love verse 4. I've highlighted it there. It says, even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. And so what that is saying is tomorrow, do you guys know what you're going to do tomorrow? Do you have some, some measure of understanding? But God knows exactly every single thing that you're going to say and every single thought that will be on your mind tomorrow. In fact, let's go beyond that. God knows what you will say and who you will be and what you will be doing and your thoughts and your motivations 10 years from now, 20 years from now. That's amazing. I mean, our understanding of ourselves, if we consider this um, a timeline of... I mean, let's, let's just consider me. I'm 35, okay? My memory of myself maybe stretches back to reasonable length around 15, I feel like. And then maybe when I was 10, I have some degree. And so it's kind of like, I, I pretty much, I have a fairly good memory of this, somewhat shadowy. I don't really remember this period. And I have zero understanding of what I will be here. You know, when I was 21, I had no idea what I was going to be like when I'm 35. And to be honest with you, I'm frankly surprised. You know, the evolution, the development. And, and, and for God, God sees all of it, all at once, and He knows it completely. He knows who we're going to be. He knows what we're going to look like and be like at age 70, at age 60, at age 50. Think about that. He knows us so much more than we could possibly know ourselves. That is an amazing thing, right? This, this gap is just, it's just growing. Um, and so, uh, uh, what is our response to this? Romans 11.33. Um, can I have Dan read that? Sure. <clears throat> oh, the depth of riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. Yeah, the word inscrutable is just a fancy way to say uh, incomprehensible. And so, what is our response to this? Our response is awe and wonder. It's to fall on our knees and say, oh my Lord and my God. You know, and I think hopefully that this class isn't just a very intellectual, nerdy class, 
but I hope that it really leads to um, devotional life, a rich uh, appreciation for God. And it actually changes your life because, you know, when there's difficulties, when there's struggles, and you're, and you're, stru- and you're, and you're having um, hard times, what you're really trying to say to God is, God, I, I think I know how my life should be. Don't you forget, God knows everything. He knows, he knows every stage of life. He's infinite. How can we ever question Him? How can we ever be angry with Him? The only response we must have is to trust Him. To trust Him. How can we explain to a little ant, this is the best thing for you? The ant just has to believe. It is so stifling hot. Let's, can we open the window over there? And can we open the door there? I'm like, I'm like sweating. All right, thank you. All right, next page. Therefore, we can know God, we cannot know God unless He reveals Himself. This is very important, right? So because the gap is infinite, it's only if God condescends to our level. You know, it's like a little ch- uh, a parent kneeling to his little child and talking right at his level. Can the child understand the parent? And it's only when God kneels down and like... He, he comes down at our level and he begins to speak to us that we can understand him. Uh, let's read, who are, who's next? Uh, Harry, can you read that? Uh, sorry, we're on First Corinthians? Yeah, First Corinthians. Uh, but as it is written, what no eye has seen nor ear heard, nor heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him, these things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. The Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. Yeah, and so what this is saying, and first of all, it's saying an amazing thing that the Spirit of God, speaking of the Holy Spirit, knows God exhaustively. I mean, that even for God to understand Himself <laughs> is an amazing feat of, of, of infinite greatness. But then what God is saying is we can understand Him because He comes down to our level and He gives us His Spirit so that we can understand Him. And that is the only way you can know God. You cannot climb up to Him you cannot climb. God can only descend. This is very important. You cannot climb. He can only descend. And even when God descends, it's not like God is like, all right, here I am. He condescends and he speaks to us in baby talk. When I try to un- make myself understandable to Judah, I don't you know, whip out adult language. I speak in baby talk, you know? And even then, yeah, Judah doesn't quite get it. You know, his, lim- his understanding is so limited. You have to understand that when you read the Bible, you're reading God's baby talk. God trying to, under- let me try to help you understand me, you know? Um, it's not to say that it's wrong or that it's incorrect. It's absolutely true and correct. But that we're not seeing the reality in its fullest essence. We're only understanding the way Judah tries to understand our reality. Baby talk. Does that make sense? All right. If I'm being relatively redundant, I apologize, but it's like, I feel like it's hard for us to appreciate this, and we have to say it again and again. All right. Um, Next point. Therefore, we must not imagine God in our own way. Um, You know, if you go to like the, a bookstore, right, you're going to see a lot of literature out there telling people, you know, this is what God is like. And it's sort of like, 
um, their own sort of imaginings. Because this is so pervasive in our culture, this idea that you can climb, you can kind of seek out God, you can search God on your own. And it, it cannot be. And so this doctrine, only if God descends, the opposite doctrine is that we must not imagine. So no imagination. This is very serious. This is the second commandment. Did you guys, you know, what is the second commandment without anyone looking? Who can, who can say it? Not yeah, no images, no idols. And you know, for the longest time I thought, excuse me, sorry, uh, for the longest time I thought, oh, no images, no idols means no, like having a statue and bowing down. That's not what God is talking about. Of course don't do that. But God is saying something even deeper and further. He's saying, don't make an image of me because that's just going to come from your mind, your imagination. You know, he's saying to the ant, to the amoeba, don't try to imagine me like who I am, because Amoeba will be like, hmm, what is God like? I bet he's like, you know, an oxygen cell, you know, I don't know. <laughs> um, um, God said, don't imagine who I am. Be patient and listen and let me tell you who I am. Okay, so let's look, let's read the second commandment, Exodus 20. Who am I next? Uh, Aikman. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, that is in heaven beneath, that is in the water under the earth. You should not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers and the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. Yeah. <coughs> don't make images. Another way of saying, don't think for yourself. You know, our culture um, is inundates us with images of God. And so anytime you come up with your own images, it's just going to be idolatrous. It's just going to be your own. It's going to be false. And therefore, the flip side of this, the second commandment, is we need to constantly be reading the Bible. You want to know a motivation to read the Bible? The motivation is only then can you know who God is. And, and I think it's interesting that in the passage, it says in verse 5, God says, I'm a jealous God. And the word jealous there is a word that you use to describe the way a husband feels when his wife cheats on him. And, and so it's a righteous jealousy, it's a holy jealousy. But think about what that metaphor is telling us. God is saying, when you imagine me, or let's do the flip side, when you think about me and you don't ground that in the Bible, when you're not deeply reading the Bible and constantly immersing yourself in the Bible, then you're inevitably, inevitably going to have images of me that are just from the culture. And when you do that, it's like a wife cheating on her husband. You're, loving, you're making out with another God, is what God is saying. You're bowing down and worshiping and treasuring a false god. Do you guys realize that? I mean, that should put holy fear in us to read the Bible and to really know him as he is. Because God is a jealous God. He does not want you to worship somebody else. All right? All right, let's keep going. Did I put the fear of God in there? <laughs> Therefore, we can only know God by grace. And so this whole movement downward of God descending, of God condescending, is only by grace. Because we don't deserve it. It's a free gift. Let's read, uh, 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 who's next? Um, Ashley. Formerly when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. And now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world, whose slaves you want to be once more? Yeah, I think it's really interesting the way Paul puts it in verse 9. He says, um, 
it's not that you know God. It's not that you have come to know God. You know, a lot of times we use the word um, uh, seeker, right? You know, oh, is he a seeker? I think, you know, to some degree that's a legitimate term. Someone's trying to, under, you know, trying to explore Christianity, trying to determine if God is real, if Jesus is real. But ultimately, there are no seekers. Because no one can climb. The only way that you can ever know God is if God first, is if God initiates the conversation. This is why in the worship service, we always begin with God speaking to us, not us speaking to God. Because we're reenacting the way the gospel works. It's always God's initiative. It's always grace. It's always God tapping you on the shoulder when you're busy minding your own business. And God saying, here I am. You know? And so... Uh, and so it, it's, it's not a matter of us knowing God, it's a matter of God knowing us. I think that's an amazing thing. If you know God in Christ, it is only, only, you cannot credit yourself, it is only because God had grace on you. And that goes to the doctrine of what? Predestination, right? And so that's a whole other can of worms. I don't want to open that one up as well. But that's why the first move has to be God. We cannot make the first move. All right. Next point, and we can only know God through Christ, right? Um, and so, what the Bible tells us something that is really controversial and really um, offensive in our world today, which is that you cannot know God except through Christ. <clears throat> and people say, how narrow, how bigoted, how can you say only Christ? What about other paths, other ways? But think about this. The lo this is just an extension of the logic of the incomprehensibleness of God. Because if God is the one who is descending, if God is the one who, if God says no imagination, if God is the one who is con condescending, then He has the right to choose the image, the, the way that He's going to communicate to us. And He says it's Christ. Uh, sorry, that's the Greek word for Christ. That, it's only Christ. And therefore it's not narrow. It's not narrow to say Christ is the only way, because all we're saying is, you know, if anyone says it's narrow to know Christ, then you should just say to them, you, you don't think about the incomprehensibleness of God. Because if you understand the incomprehensibleness of God, then you would realize that God is the right, God has absolutely the right to choose the way he's going to communicate with us. And so let's read John 14, uh, Justin. Um, Philip said to Jesus, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. And Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? Yeah, Jesus says very clearly, when you see me, you see the Father. And in fact, he says in John 14, I am the way to truth and life. I am the only way to the Father. The only way that you can know God is through Christ. There is no other access to God. How, how can there be an access to God when the, di the distance is infinite? The only way is through Christ. Alright, uh, who's next? Um, um, where are we? Karen, can you read Colossians uh, Can you read both verses? Colossians 1.15 He is the image of the invisible God. John 17.3 And this is eternal life, that they should know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you, whom you have sent. Yeah, and the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent, these are not two separate things, they're one and the same. To know Christ is to know God. All right, next point. Notice that knowing God is not merely intellectual. It is a personal knowledge. It is not knowing about God, but it is knowing God. Okay, this is very, very important. 
uh, especially for me because I like to study and I like to oh, I like to reduce God to a bunch of data and fact points. But that's not how you know God. It is possible to know a great deal of doctrine, but to to miss God entirely. Ooh. Um, the knowledge of God, the Bible, whenever the Bible talks about not knowing God, the Bible is never talking about book knowledge. The Bible is always talking about relational knowledge, okay? Um, and so let's read Psalm 34. Uh, where, where am I? Uh, uh, Carrie, can you read that? Um, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is, is the man who takes refuge in him. Yeah, I love this language, right? It does, I mean, it says taste, see. It's experiential. It's not merely intellectual. Okay? Um, do you guys have that knowledge of God? Do you taste Him? Do you see Him? Or is He merely some sort of very distant deity? Or is He merely like a, an abstract concept? Um, um, Iris, can you read John 14? Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And my Father will love him. And we will come to him and make our home with Yeah, I love this imagery as well. We will make our home. It's so intimate. God says, when you know me in Christ, it's like I'm moving inside and making a home. I'm going to sit on your couch, you know, and eat a meal with you. And it's, it's, it's so personal. That's the knowledge that we're talking about here. Um, and this is why uh, when God relates to us, He relates to us through Jesus Christ. I think it's very, very significant that God doesn't just do like the supernova explosion you know, uh, what is some sort of amazing event. He says, ah, I'm God. But he actually comes down as a human being. And he comes down as a very particular human being. Jesus is from Nazareth, which is a, you know, Hoboken, hick town. Jesus spoke with an accent. It says that Jesus was not comely. He was not attractive. He was poor. Think about that. When God came down to reveal himself to us, he came down as a poor, ugly, nobody man from, a, no, from the middle of nobody with an accent. God saying, this is who I am. This is why God says no imagination. Because you know what Israel did when they create when they tried to create God with their own imagination? They created a golden calf, something big and powerful and impressive. And God says, that's not me at all. I'm Jesus. I'm this poor, you know, humble man who loves children and cares for the sick. And that's who I am, okay? Um, all right, so, but, and you know, so I've been saying it's not mere intellectual knowledge, but it's a personal knowledge. But it is not personal knowledge against intellectual knowledge. Does that make sense? Uh, so, let me read this up. Notice that knowing God is not a vague notion, but it is specific and content-rich. And so what I'm trying to say is, it's a personal knowing, but that personal knowing is based on information, right? I I've given this illustration before, right? What if, some, what if you're dating somebody, and, and you wanna, you, you, you're trying to reveal your heart to this person. You're trying to say, you know, this is who I am. This, this, these are my likes and dislikes, you know. This is my story, and, and then your romantic partner says, shh, I don't want to hear anything. Let's just hold hands. You'll be like, you don't love me. You don't care about me. When we don't read the Bible, do you know what we're doing? We're saying to God, shh, don't talk. Let's just hold hands. <laughs> right? God says, I'm a jealous God. I want you to know me. Jeremiah 9, Tony. Thus says the Lord. Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. 
Yeah, and I underlined it. Notice that God says that you know me in these very specific attributes, right? Steadfast love. That word that, that's translated there is actually a very difficult word to translate. It actually means more like covenant love. And it has a very deep, rich history in the Bible. It's steadfast love, justice, righteousness on the earth. These are very specific things about God. And they touch on, they're not just abstract notions, but they touch on what God has done through redemptive history. That's when you know him, is when you know him very specifically, very intimately, very knowledgeably. Okay? Uh, and then, uh, let me read the next point. The Christian life is increasing in the knowledge of God. And so, let me try to rescue this, this image here. Um, okay, so I said, right, that here's God. Here's us. And the gap is infinite, right? Um, but the Christian life is increasing in the knowledge of God. And so, uh, the Christian life is continually knowing God higher and higher, deeper and deeper, knowing Him more and more, okay? Of course, the gap is infinite, so you will never close the gap, but you will keep climbing, you will keep going in. I know I said no climbing, but you understand, um, metaphorically, in Christ, we're continuing to know God. And so let's read that passage. Who are we next, uh, Yvonne? So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Yeah, you know what this means? And I know I've said this again and again. This means that we should never get bored of reading the Bible. This means that we should make Bible study a lifelong habit. And the way you climb in the knowledge of God, the way you increase, let me don't not use the word climb, but let me use the biblical language, increase in the knowledge of God is through Bible study. Actually, this is not the only way. There are other ways. It's through Christian fellowship. It's through mercy. All these things. All the aspects of Christian life. But here I just want to emphasize Bible study because I know this is a big issue for a lot of people. This is how you increase in the knowledge of God. Okay? Um, Hosea 6. Uh, Jeff. Let us know. Let us press on to know the Lord. His going out is sure as the dawn. He will come to us as the showers, as the spring rains that water the earth. Yeah, and I've said this already, but what an amazing picture of eternity. This will be eternity for us, okay? Eternity will be increasing, constantly going deeper and deeper, constantly understanding God more and more, constantly just enjoying rich fellowship with Him and, and understanding His amazingness more and more, and we will never end. It will never stop. That is eternity. That is paradise. That's what we, ha we have in store ahead of us. We will never get, we'll never just say, oh, how boring. We'll constantly, you know? It's an amazing thing. Um, and so it is a precious, let me close by saying this. It is a precious thing to know God. <laughs> Psalm 139. How precious, I hope you really appreciate this. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. Can we say that to God? Your thoughts, who you are, is so precious to me. I hunger for you. How vast is the sum of them. If I could count them, they are more than the sand. I awake and I am still with you. It's a wonderful picture that God gives us of eternity. And so this, this is the series, Knowing God. I began, the first lesson is, you cannot know God. Now you're ready to know God. And, and so Eric and Harry and I will continue to teach. And we're gonna have, it's an eight-part series. So we're going we're gonna to dive into the attributes, the knowledge of God. Um, any questions? I actually ended relatively early. I am amazing. <laughs> <laughs>
Uh, any questions or any comments or any thoughts? Anything? Don't be shy. No? All right, then let's pray. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what is our response but awe and wonder? What can we do but just fall upon our knees and adore you and worship you? And uh, we confess that for so many of us, our appetite for knowing you is very weak, very tepid. Lord, would you not forgive us? And would you not give us a heart to know you and a hunger for you? And would you not satisfy that hunger? We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.